Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 121 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Lisa Glick. Lisa lives in Tucson, Arizona, where she has newly relocated after being New York born and raised. She is a retired music educator who continues to sing professionally and also teaches fitness classes. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I thought you were going to break into song. Well, I might in the middle of this interview, so just be warned. (laughs) I'll look forward to that. That would be fun. Thank you. So you know I like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting, and when was that? So the Reader's Digest version is I actually did a little bit of intermittent fasting as a teenager, 
because when I was a freshman in high school, I started to um, gain weight when I stopped growing. And I, in the summer before my sophomore year of high school, I went on, you know, the typical low calorie diet. And once a week, I would do like a modified fast, you know, with my mother's blessing, you know, I would have a little bit of food, but I basically started fasting then. And I continued um, up until the middle of college. And I remember I did it because it was just very freeing. And then later on, I, um, I did have anorexia and I'll get to the causes of that. And after I recovered from the anorexia, obviously I had to stop fasting during that. And then I went the other way to binge eating and I had a lot of disordered eating. So I've had a long journey, um, with food. And I would say I got back into um, healthy intermittent fasting probably about two years ago. And prior to that, I was doing the ketogenic food plan. And so that sort of just segued naturally right into intermittent fasting. But I'd say the last two years, I would say I am an intermittent faster. That's fabulous. So do you want to share your age range with the audience so they'll know how long this has gone on? Sure. So I'm 60. I turned 60 in March. I'm a very young 60. You know, I'm a long distance runner. And I would say my eating issues began in high school. So I want to be authentic. My eating issues are, are directly connected to, I suffer from bipolar disorder and I'm doing very well now. But um, now that I know after being diagnosed in my thirties, I really am positive that my eating issues were directly connected to my depression. So I want to put this out there that not everyone that has an eating disorder has depression, but in my case, it was an absolute direct, it was like a symptom of the depression. Yes. And I think that so many of us manage these things in different ways. But for you, was it kind of like the way that you controlled what was going on in your life? Like you were depressed, you felt bad. So you could, the one thing you could control was your eating. Is that kind of how it was? Bingo. That's funny. I was just thinking about no, you know, disrespect to my parents. My parents were amazing parents, but they grew up during the depression and my house was very regimented growing up. You know, like I remember if I didn't put dishes in the dishwasher the right way, my mother would rearrange them. So when I started to suffer from depression and anxiety, that was like the thing I could control, could control my food. Yeah, I think that resonates with a lot of us because, you know, I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder, but I think most of us who struggled with obesity for any you know, weight, the way that, that so many of us have, would say that we have some disordered thinking, you know, with the way we we, we think about food. But um, yours, yours was diagnosed as anorexia. How old were you at that point? I was... 16, I want to say, about 16. So I went to college um, and I sort of, you know, had it managed. You know, I, I was eating the bare minimum and I was over-exercising. You know, I would call it almost bulimic exercise at that point. Well, yeah, I've heard that, that, that people call that the um, exercise. It's like a, a form of bulimia trying to exercise off what you put in. Exactly. And so mm-hmm. I, and I was very, you know, high strung. So I went to college. I went for music ed. When I went to college, I think I weighed like 110, 115. Oh, I'm 5'3". I'm a small okay. woman. I'm like a medium. Like I'm strong, but I'm, I'm petite. So like 110 to 115 is really an ideal weight for someone who's 5'3". It is. 
Mm-hmm. It is a very good way. So when I was in high school, like I got up to like 1.30 and that was like the, oh my God. And then I started restricting and, you know, you get the compliments and all that. Right. And I was pretty obsessed with the eating and the body image, you know, and I still have a little bit of struggle with body dysmorphia, even to this day. It's something I'm always working on. So I went to college, 110, 115. And, you know, I went for a voice. I was, I'm a singer. And Uh, you know, when you're in high school and you're in the lead in all the high school shows, you're the top dog. But then when you go to college for music, everybody's the top dog. So it was very stressful and I was away from home. And so I started eating more and eating more. And the next thing I knew I was binging after being anorexic. Once I started eating again, it was like, I couldn't stop. I was waking up in the middle of the night and eating. So I went to college at 115. And when I left college, I was 160. I was like a size 16 and I'm a little girl and I had been thin my whole life. Like growing up, I was athletic. I was a gymnast and I was like who I felt like I was possessed almost, you know, you know, when we understand the biology of our hunger and satiety hormones, we realize that that's that's the natural way our bodies fight back from over restriction. They ramp up those hunger hormones and and it leads to binging. You know, I talked about this in fast feast repeat is one of the red flags, one of the dangers for over fasting is that urge to binge. So, you know, your your story is just textbook of what we would expect to happen. Over restricting, your body said, "Hey, <laughs> not working for me." And so it sent you the signal to binge. Yeah, and it was very frightening because I remember right. I felt like out of control. I felt like I was possessed. Like I, I couldn't stop eating. Like I would eat a meal and I'd be hungry again in an hour. And a lot of shame. There was a lot of shame. You know, mm-hmm. people were like, what What happened to you? My parent, my dad was like, just stop eating. You know, like. Oh, yeah. Don't yeah. you love that? But. Yeah. Just, <sighs> yeah. Thanks, dad. Yeah. So I, you know, I got out of college and I was very fortunate. I got my first teaching job immediately in a beautiful town in upstate New York. And my first year of teaching I kind of got my act together. You know, I started, you know, um, just eating more healthy and I went back to my running and I lost like 30 pounds. So my average weight while I was on my first like five, 10 years of teaching, I was hanging on at 130, which was like, I was like, I was like a 10 and I look good and I was able to run and, and I thought I looked fine. And I met my first husband and you know, we got married and, and I was fine. I was like, I didn't, I was good at one thirty, and I felt, I felt basically like my, I had my food under control, but you know, like there's a dam and you felt like any minute it was going to break. So yeah. it was, I was like white knuckling it. Like I was obsessed with the food. I was watching my calories. I was like, well, you know, I was like, should I have the snack? Should I have an apple? It was, it was a very difficult way to live. And it was like always there. Always there. Right. In the, yeah. And I do want to say, I don't like sweets. Like I truly, I know this sounds weird, but I don't enjoy sweets. Like they don't make me feel good. Like if I'm hungry, I'd rather eat like bacon. I just, I hate being hungry. I just, I hate it. I hate that feeling. Well, that that's fascinating that, you know, for someone who doesn't understand fasting, you just said you hate hunger and here we are, we're intermittent fasters and it's different though. It's so different. So different. It's so, it's amazing. It's so different. So I really feel like I'm in remission. I feel like I'm good, but I feel like I'll always have a little bit of an eating disorder, sort of like someone that's an alcoholic or recovered addict. I feel my, for me, I feel like I'm good. Like I can fast, you know, I do one meal a day basically, and I can go all day and not think about it. But I feel like I always have to be aware of it and respect it. That's for me. 
And it's a tool. The intermittent fasting is a tool. I don't feel like I'm cured. I feel like, you know, people say I'm a recovered alcoholic. I feel like I'm a recovered, disordered eating person. That makes sense. And I, I think that really a lot of us who struggled for so many years would say that that we we feel that same thing. Like it, intermittent fasting has helped to heal that struggle that we had before. But you worry that you're going to, you know, like like someone who was an alcoholic and suddenly begins drinking, you know, you worry that, oh, gosh, could I just, you know, quote, fall off the intermittent fasting wagon? And in, in the back of your mind, how long have you been, you said two years it's been that you've been really living the intermittent fasting lifestyle now? Yes, yes. I think as you go longer, you start to lose that fear as you get so. a little farther along in, in your journey. But you were talking about how you your first you had your first husband and you felt like it was going to break at any time. Yeah. So I got diagnosed as a bipolar when I was 31. So I think that factors into my fear a little bit because I don't know if you know a lot about bipolar, but you have highs and you have lows. Right. So I was thinking about this morning, I went running before the interview, and I was thinking about even when things in my life are going great, I'm always, there's this little thing in the back of my mind that, uh-oh, it's going to go bad soon because that was my life for so That's many years. That's your cycle. Yeah. So I am, I'm, I'm all good. I haven't had an episode since I was like 33, and now I'm 60. Oh, that's fabulous. It is fabulous. Okay, you, ha- you mean you haven't had a low or the, the extra high? I know that Typical bipolar, you have like highs where you're like manic, right? Yeah, exactly. They used to call it manic depressive, right? But they don't they don't use that terminology anymore. But so you haven't had the manic kind of high or the really low kind of low since your thirties. So I have had them, but in like really mild and they're okay. very manageable. So I was one thirty for many years. I met my first husband and you know, we got married. I was a teacher and then I had my first child. I only have one child, my first and only. I had a fabulous pregnancy. I wasn't worried about the weight. I had this beautiful baby. She was amazing. I loved my life. I was nursing her. So when I weaned her and I stopped nursing her, I got really super depressed. Like, I mean, I was like, I could feel it. Every day was getting worse and worse. And I was heading towards being non-functional. And I stopped eating. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. So I didn't know it at the time, but I was having like a full-blown manic phase. I was like edgy and I was always moving and I didn't know what was going on. So of course I just had a baby nine months ago. So everybody, every doctor, every professional thought she has postpartum. It's delayed. And it was, it was hormonal. It was a bit hormonal related because I had just weaned my daughter. I was nursing, breastfeeding. And, and then I, I basically had a nervous collapse. Like I had a day where I just, I just couldn't function. And I, I was hospitalized for several months and it, I never got diagnosed correctly while I was in hospital. Because that makes I, it hard. Yeah. It's not their fault, but, um, you know, I just had the baby and I was exhibiting all these symptoms that were aligned with being anorexic because I had stopped eating again. I had dropped a tremendous amount of weight and, but I was dropping weight because I was a nervous wreck and I couldn't eat and I couldn't sleep. So anyway, long story short, I was released from the hospital. I came home and somehow I was put in touch with a psychologist, a psychiatrist and um, in my hometown. And she met me a few times and she's like, you're bipolar. And I was like, yay. I was like, <laughs> yay. Somebody knows what's wrong with me. It's You know, it's a relief to hear, right? So- um, she put me on lithium, a medication called lithium. And I don't 
I just want to make a quick disclaimer here. This is my story. I'm not saying that everyone who has bipolar should go on lithium. I was fortunate that that medication happened to work for me. Everybody's chemistry is different. Everybody's needs are different. So please don't say, well, Lisa went on lithium. I'm going to go on lithium. So that worked for me like like a miracle. It was like a miracle. I swear. I started, I'd been on all different meds when I was hospitalized. And when she put me on the lithium, you, you start with a small dose and you gradually increase and they, they um, do your blood levels. And in three weeks, three weeks, I felt like somebody went in my mind and erased the cobwebs. I was like, wow. I was like, I'm better. And this was after like probably a year of being misdiagnosed. I was like skipping her. I was like, I better. This is what it feels like to be normal. So, so the point being, once I got better, I realized that I had been sick for way before I had my daughter. I remember having episodes as early as like elementary school. And as I got older, they got more increased. It like magnified. It magnified, exactly. So you were a teacher and so was I. And I taught middle school my last 10 years. I could pick out the kids in my classroom that were might have been bipolar. Like I could see the symptoms before the school psychologist could. Like I could. Yeah, because you, you saw yourself, right? You saw what you had gone through. Yes. So I went on the lithium and I was just happy to get my life back because I was like, I had to take an extra year in my maternity leave. And it was, it was very bad. You know, I couldn't watch my daughter. We had to send her to daycare, blah, blah, blah. So I got better and bit by bit, I started, you know, reclaiming my life. You know, I was watching my child. I was participating in society. I went back to work, all these things. And so because of that um, experience, I have extreme, extreme gratitude. It's like when someone has cancer and they get better, like every day I go, yay, I'm alive and I can do my things. So that's how I live my life. I love that because you've you felt the rock bottom and it is so f- fortunate. You know, you, you mentioned extreme gratitude, but the fact that you discovered that so early in your 30s, I mean, I know you'd struggled for years before that, but you, you discovered it then and then found what worked for you. That's really great. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium, and specifically, Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for clean eating, delivering pre-portioned and prepped quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients. Green Chef sends organic, fresh produce, responsibly sourced proteins, and chef-designed recipes in every box for satisfying, nourishing, and convenient meals that fit in beautifully to my cleanish lifestyle, and the food is totally window-worthy. Tonight, we're having barbecue sweet potato tacos with cabbage and carrot slaw, black beans, corn, 
burn and cheesy tortillas, and they come with Green Chef's chimichurri sauce. So good. Go to greenchef.com slash ifstories50 and use the promo code ifstories50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com slash ifstories50. And don't forget to use the promo code ifstories50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. It is great. I do want to make a little mention here that My husband works for IBM and I was a teacher and we had really good medical insurance. So I am, I am so fortunate that I had access to that. And I'm also an educated woman. And so I, I always worry about people that don't have those, those services. So I'm always donating and supporting mental health because some people like they can't go get the kind of help. You're right. You're yeah. exactly right. And some people even, you know, there's that stigma that they don't want to get help because they, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, when, when really everyone else knows they're not. But the right help can really make a difference. And there's a lot of shame. And so that's that's why I reached out to you. I also did a podcast before I left New York because if you have cancer and you recover, people talk about it all the time. So why can't I talk about this? It's not my fault. It was a chemical imbalance. So I think it's really important, you know, that I let people know that there is hope. Yeah, I, th- I think that's powerful because, like you said, it's a chemical imbalance, but you do feel the shame of why can't I just hold it together when really that's false. You need the help. Your body needs that. Yeah. So I um, I had medication. I was on lithium and I was very fortunate that I had tried many other medications in the hospital like Prozac and so on. And, and they work for some people, but for my body, the lithium, it was magic. It was magic. But it did uh, mess up my thyroid a little bit. Okay. And I'm like, oh, well, I didn't care. I could take care of my baby. I could go back to right. work. I'm like, oh, well. But And it did um, cause a little bit of weight gain. I don't think I had a food issue, but you can't take it on an empty stomach, and it does slow your metabolism a little. So I, I put on some weight with the lithium. But at that point in my life, I'm like, I don't care. I don't exactly. really care. I just want to like, I just want my life back because I thought they were going to put me in a hospital and lock me up forever. So I was like, oh, well, if this is, I have to be chubby now, it's, I don't care. I stayed on the lithium for many, many years, I think 15 or 20. And as, oh, and so I'm, I'm sorry, I took the lithium, but I also, I got a lot of therapy and I want to put that out there that, you know, we, like you've talked about this, you go to a personal trainer to learn how to work out. You go to a piano teacher to learn how to play piano. Why can't you go to a ther- therapist to learn how to think better? So I had a lot of therapy with a wonderful person. And that's very important that you find the right person. Oh, yeah, that that really is. And if, if someone's been to therapy and that it didn't work out well, then it was probably just not the right fit for you. Keep looking. And, you know, you might have that one experience and think, well, yeah, therapy is no good. But really, the right therapist yep. just like can the make right, a huge difference. Like the right voice teacher or the right soccer mm-hmm. coach. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. So I was going for therapy and I was taking my meds and I kept improving, you know, because um, I had a really good therapist. So I had all these other tools like I'm doing my running, I'm doing my dancing. As I said, I'm a singer, like music is like, it's like one of the most important things in my life. So lots of singing, lots of giving back. Like I sing at nursing homes, lots of community service. So getting outside my own head and helping other people. So I kept improving and she was able, and as I started exercise, the weight started to come off a little bit. So she was able to lower my dosage. And eventually after about 20 years, I was able to come off the lithium completely. Wow. So how long have you been off the lithium? 
oh, since I'm 50, maybe. That's fabulous. And you're feeling great. I feel really good. I still have a bottle in the house. (laughs) Just in case. Just in case. Like when my mom died about 12 years ago. I was, I was, it was very difficult. She died suddenly. Um, I went running to, back to my counselor, but I didn't need the medication. And, but see, I have all these other tools. So that's, that's part of how I got into the fasting because I started doing the ketogenic diet when I was mid fifties. It's been about five years that you've been on the ketogenic diet. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You were an early adopter. I was because my husband, my my new husband, my current husband, we're athletes and we follow some of the ultra runners who do the ketogenic plus inflammation. You know, we wanted to reduce our inflammation and we're long distance runners and we're tired of eating every five minutes and we were running, you know. But before I went off the lithium, you know, the weight had come down like maybe 120 because I was working out, you know, and I was like, I was fine with that. I didn't care. And then when I went off the lithium, then I got back you know, to like 118 maybe. And, and when I went through my divorce with my ex-husband, I, I got a little skinny, but that was just from my nerves. So, um, right. So when I went through my menopause, I was 53, I think. So get ready, Jen. <laughs> well, look, I am counting the days right now. I could pull up my app right this minute. And let oh, yeah. you know. I have an app. I have been at this this tracker. I've been tracking it ever since 2012. That's kind of crazy to think about, but I've been I've been putting in every cycle and I could, I'm on day um 321. Oh. Right now. So I'm getting oh. there. Oh, you are so getting there. I'm so getting there. Yeah. You are. And well, what I would say to to the listeners, do not be afraid of menopause. It's like when I was pregnant with Wendy, people people were like, "Oh, you're having a baby. Your life is never yeah. going to be the same." It's like, "Stop." So, if you're going through menopause, you're like, "Yay, it's like the next, you know, right. next phase." You know, it it is just a natural phase. I'm not scared of it. Like I said, I I probably sounded a little excited. When I was yeah. <laughs> looking up that number, but yeah, so I'm 51, which I think I read is the average age of menopause. So it's really kind of funny that here I am, bam, hitting it right at the average. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You were 53. I when think. You- so what happened was I was married to a wonderful man for 28 years. And we just, we got married very young and and we grew apart. And I, I do think once I got, got diagnosed with bipolar and I got better, I started to find the true me like my right. real self. And he's, he's a wonderful man. We're still good friends, but we started to grow apart, apart, apart. And we both came to a mutual decision that we it would be better off if we didn't continue to live together. It was mm-hmm. just getting, it was a little toxic. So 28 years of marriage, finances. I've been married to him since I was 26. And now I'm in my early fifties. Who gets divorced in their early fifties? Me. So, right. And also, I'm one of these people, once I commit to something, and him too, like we thought, like we would never be one of those people that get divorced, but if we weren't making each other happy, and you only get one life, and we both decided we really deserve to be happy. So we went through the divorce. It was, that was the most stress. I thought I was going to have another another nervous breakdown, honestly. It was so stressful emotionally, and there was so much, so many layers of finances, and, you know, we had so much, but we got through it. So during the divorce process, I couldn't eat again. I wasn't sick. I wasn't manic. I was just so nervous about everything. So I lost probably like 10 pounds and I was looking a little, you know, a little gaunt. And then my period stopped and I just assumed it was from the stress of the divorce, but they never came back. So 
It was about age menopause. 15. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was all like it all like whoosh, happened at the same time. So anyway, I lost quite a bit of weight during the divorce. But then when everything got settled, I got comfortable. I met another man, my current husband, and then the menopause hit, and. I was like, what is happening? My stomach. I was like, whose stomach is that? Because even when I was thick, uh, even when I was heavy, I I never had a big fat stomach. Like I got would get in my thighs of my pair. You know, I get in right. my thighs, my butt. And all of a sudden I had this big stomach. And I don't have to tell people out there, but you know, you're sitting in the car, you're like, ew, what is that? It's different when you haven't felt that before. I know exactly what you mean because I never had that kind of weight issue. Younger, when I was younger, I was only always a pair. But when I w- became obese in my 40s, I had a big stomach and it was different. It feels different when you haven't had it. Yeah. And I was like, I, and, that, and once again, I felt like it was out of my control. Like the scale kept going up, up, up. And my stomach was going and I was going out. And I was also having issues with like bloating, like no matter what I ate. And so, and I do have to be forthright here. Uh, hello, sweet and low. Oh my God. I was doing sweet and low and I was teaching still. I, I teach music, a vocal music. So I had the sugar-free cough drops all day long, all day long, sugar-free cough drops. And now, now that I know what I know from you, from delay, don't deny and fast feast repeat, I'm like, oh my God, no wonder I was so bloated all day long, the sugar-free cough drops. With the syrup. And, you know, insulin going up all day long because constant sweetness in your mouth. That constant. makes sense. Constant. And that, that leads to insulin resistance, which leads to that abdominal obesity. It was right. Yeah. I was like, you know, they only have like five calories. I'm like, whatever. But I, Exactly. And, yeah. And they didn't make me hungry. But I think, and also like a lot of times with stress, when the stress is over, that's when your body goes, hello. So I think yeah. the cortisol and the post-menopause and the effects of the divorce, it all went right to my stomach. It was just a hormonal storm. It was. It was a horrible, yeah. My biggest weight gain ever was also correlated with stress. We It was when, it was 2005. It was when we were moving. I'd been taking diet pills for a while, doctor prescribed, but so they were fine, right? So I quit taking the diet pills and we moved and it was a new job. My husband was going through a stressful time. I was going through a stressful time. That's when I gained 50 pounds in 18 months. It was it was crazy, and that's when I really started to struggle after that. And the years of yo-yo up and down, up and down started at that point in 2005. Even though I had always, you know, yo-yoed a little bit, the range suddenly was more like a roller coaster than a yo-yo. But it was really, it was all the stress and the hormones and everything just kind of snowballed. So I totally get it. Yeah. And so I was still on, I'm still on um, Synthroid's thyroid medication because the lithium, I don't have a problem with this. It, it kind of damaged my thyroid a little. And so I'll probably be on it the rest of my life. And I'm fine with that. So I had this endocrinologist and I'm like, my weight keeps going up. And, and she, she ran the regular, you know, blood panel for the thyroid. And she's like, your thyroid is fine. And finally, I remember one day I went to her office and I started crying and stamping my feet. I'm like, it's not fine. I'm gaining weight. There's something wrong. Plus I didn't feel good. Like I was having all the symptoms of low thyroid. I was having like dry skin. You know, I was so lethargic and finally she upped my meds. Now I'm a little more more empowered about my thyroid panel. I, I've since moved and I have a new doctor. But uh, when I go, I go, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want the TSH, I want the T4, I want the, the and I'm I'm proactive in my care because I, awesome. and I and I know how to read the numbers. Right. That's very important because, you know, I, I talked about this with other people on the podcast before. 
doctors are trained to look for a range of normal, but normal doesn't mean optimal. You want to feel optimal. I don't want to just be normal. I don't want to, I want to be at my best. Yeah. I had a doctor in New York, lovely, lovely woman. And when I told her I was feeling tired and she was like, well, you know, most people when they're 50, they go home after work and they sit on the couch and watch TV. And I'm like, not this person, you know, she's a lovely woman, but she's kind of old fashioned. But so I don't think I will ever be off the the Synthroid and I'm fine with that. But I think the intermittent fasting, you know, it's another tool to help my thyroid do the best it can. So I love that that you're empowered to read the numbers yourself. Yeah. So what brought you, you you started off with the keto world. Is that, that's what kind of introduced you? Yes. And your husband, he also does keto with you. Did y'all both start right around the same time? Tell us about that. Okay. So my husband, like your husband, is a scientist. He's not an educator. He's a PhD. He What's his PhD in? It's in environmental science. And he, he worked in weather and water, but he's a real smarty pants. Now, I do like that. I like that kind of science. Like I am not, I don't like chemistry so much. I don't like biology. But environmental science, that's a little more up my alley. It's fantastic. So he worked in weather and water and we're both long distance runners. So the way we started keto was we went out to um, Hard Rock Country in Colorado. I had a brother who passed away there and we met all these super elite ultra runners, you know, people that do 100 milers. And I had just done my first 50 miler. And wow. the thing is, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit. But, you know, we're at the age where we run and we're like achy and we're like, you know, and so we, my husband had been doing some reading and then this time he was only my boyfriend, a reading about uh, the ketogenic diet and reduction of inflammation. Now, Jim, my husband is very slender. He's so slender. Um, so he didn't need to lose any weight. But uh, we were reading about, you know, longevity, increased energy, and becoming a fat burner when you're a long-distance runner, it's, like, really convenient because you don't have to eat. Yeah. And the main thing was the reduction of inflammation. So we he researched it. I was, And so here's the deal. I had been a low-carb person for, I think, since I was a kid. I never liked like bread. I never liked pasta. I always had been low-carb, but like- Just every- naturally. You naturally did that. Yes, I did. But like most people, I was afraid of the fat because, you know, the dogma in the 70s is low fat. Like, so when Jim uh, started to tell me about the ketogenic diet, he's like, we got to eat fat. And I was like, oh, 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 I can't eat fat. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. I, was, I remember I had like a, like a counseling session with one of my girlfriends when we were running. It's like, he wants me to eat real butter. <laughs> Yeah, because, well, you know, that was so demonized for all those years, 70s, really 80s, 90s. Oh, yeah, that's funny. So in the beginning, I was like, I don't know about this, but I have to tell you that when I went on the keto plan and we didn't do like, well, we did pretty strict keto, but Jen, I don't, I don't do the measuring. I can't, I'm not, no measuring, no writing. I just like, you know, ballparked it because I had already been low carb. I didn't have any of the keto flu. I didn't have any of that. And I wasn't craving anything because I never ate carbs. So I just added in the real, the fat and the real foods. Oh my gosh. I felt better like so quickly. That's fabulous. What did you eliminate that you had been eating? You added in real fats. What what did you stop eating? Okay. So I stopped eating crap. Yeah. You know, process. I just like I would eat pretzels every now and then, you know, on a run for the salt. I got rid of the pretzels. I added real, oh, real butter instead of margarine. 
you know, we used to take the skin off the chicken. Uh, no, 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 no. And then we started going towards grass-fed beef and avocado and whole foods like sour cream, full-fat cheeses. Oh, my God. Amazing. Like bacon, like real bacon. You know, if anyone's a vegetarian, sorry, I don't mean to upset you, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a meat girl. Yeah. So when I went on the keto, that helped a lot with the menopausal bloat. And then I noticed it was helping my anxiety a lot because I'm better. And did you also quit like the um, the artificial sweeteners at that time? Because you mentioned that you'd been doing a lot of sweet and low. I did. I didn't quit them cold turkey. I sort of had them like maybe in the evening, but during the day I did not have them. We were doing, you know, the keto, the bullet coffee in the morning. With oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. With the coconut. And so in a way that sort of led me into intermittent fasting because I would do a bullet coffee for breakfast, maybe lunch, and the only meal I ate was dinner. So I was sort of transitioning without even realizing it at, at the time. I think that's great. Your body was was training itself to be fat adapted. And you kind of were almost there before, but then you switched to the real foods. I you know, you know I'm a fan of the real foods. You know, stopping the Stopping the margarine, switching to butter, going to the higher quality meats, I, that, I think that just makes a huge, a huge difference. Your body was like, real food. It was. I was so, I was like, olive oil, like real butter. So I have to tell you, my daughter, even when she was a little girl, she never could tolerate margarine. She would get a headache because of all the chemicals. So, yeah. So basically, if anybody's interested in dabbling in that, I don't even worry about keto. Just eat real food. Just if anything has more than three ingredients on the labels, uh, no, thank you. So just eat real whole foods if you can, you know? Yeah. That's a huge, huge change for so many. If people just did that, ate real food, uh, how much better would they feel? Yeah. So when we do our long distance runs, we would bring like bacon jerky and we'd bring like cheese sticks and um, those nut packets of nut butter, like I'm, I'm able to eat nuts. I can't eat peanuts, but I can eat everything else. So, um, and then we noticed when we were running, because we were doing keto, like we could go 10 miles, sometimes 15, without eating anything. So it just led us into IF, and we're a big, uh, we're big fans of Dr. Jason Fung. And then what started happening is when I was running, I'm like, when I ate, it made me feel worse. Like I felt better running long distances without putting any food in my body, just maybe a little salt you know, and same thing with teaching dance. Like, I don't want to have like a bunch of food in my stomach when I'm going to teach a dance class. Yeah. You know, it just seems, it seems like now that we are fasters going back to before, I can't imagine like this morning I did a whole bunch of house cleaning and all of course in the fasted state. And I could just have kept going and going and going. Like yesterday I, I did a 10 mile hike and then I cleaned my entire house and I wear yeah. like a garment and I got like three miles of steps, like cleaning, just cleaning. Yeah. And I'm like yeah. vacuuming and yeah. Right. Yeah. Dusting. Dusting. I love, I love <laughs> vacuum. I just have to say, I love vacuuming. And if you're ever having trouble getting through your fast, just get out the vacuum. It's very therapeutic. Now what kind of vacuum do you have? I'm a vacuum aficionado. Oh, I think it's a Sears canister, a Kenmore, okay. but I think Sears closed. We just bought it before we moved. Okay. I I'm love just vac- curious. No, I love vacuuming. <laughs> I'm always in search of a great vacuum. That's why I asked. I love vacuuming. We have a Dyson. We just got that one recently. Yeah. So I love to clean. Just so you know, I feel like cleaning is like anytime I get hungry, I just start cleaning. But um, I'm also a singer and singing is very physical. So the intermittent fasting, I've seen this in the Facebook group as well. There's a couple of other singers because singing 
you 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 came from a dance background. It's so physical. I did, yes. So you don't want a bunch of food in your stomach when you're singing because you want to breathe and you want your diaphragm. And and yet the thing that I love 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 about fasting, it's like it's so zen. Like I feel so creative and my clarity of thought. So that was one of the things that brought us to keto was the clarity of thought. Right. What and then. From keto to intermittent fasting, it's like the next level of collaboration. Just a natural progression. And then you feel so good. So when did you stop with the Bulletproof Coffee? When did you start weaning that away? Yeah. So we moved full-time to Arizona last August. Next week is our one-year anniversary. So I would say about a year and a half ago, I started giving up the, the coconut and the coffee because I'm like, I'm fine. So a year and a half, I would say. Okay, so you just gave that up and just started fasting clean and then just even feel better and more mental clarity than even before. Yeah, so, you know, we used to put the the coconut oil in the coffee because we felt like we needed a little something for the run. And one morning we were going on a short run that turned into a long run and I just had black coffee and I'm like, I feel great. So that was the end of that. Yeah, well, good, good, yeah. So your husband is fasting with you? Yeah. So my husband is very, very skinny, very skinny, but he has a family history of cancer and he's had a lot of episodes with skin cancer. He's actually going to the dermatologist this morning. That sounds like my husband a lot. Very similar. Skinny also has had some skin cancer removed. Okay. Yeah. He's very light skin. I don't know if you you see me. I'm I'm a dark. So he, he's a voracious, you know, reader, researcher, and the more we read about um, intermittent fasting, the more we decided it was the, you know, the magic potion to longevity. Because we we didn't meet each other till we were in our mid fifties, and we we're hoping to have some time together. And um, it can, you know, I don't know if it always helps, but it can help prevent cancer, some cancers, right? Because they um, they feed on sugar, and and the inflammation and the clarity of thought. So Jim, my husband, very slender, so. He does basically one meal a day, but he'll have like an opener. He'll have like a kind of small meal, maybe like one thirty, two o'clock, like some nuts and some cream cheese and, you know, some maybe some yogurt. And then we'll have a nice dinner together because he's so slender. So he has to he has to make sure he gets enough calories. That sounds very much like what my husband does. He comes home from work because we live pretty close to the university where he works. So he's back to work now. We're recording this in August, even though it won't come out till November. But he goes to work and then he'll come home for lunch. But he has like a little lunch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's not a giant eater and he never has been. He just has like a today he had like a chicken finger or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And ate that. I might have had some applesauce after. He's not keto, clearly, as you can see. But, you know, he'll have just a little something. Then he goes back to work and comes home later. And he might, you know, have a salad while I'm making dinner or a handful of nuts. That's something he he likes to have as well. And then we have a, a dinner together. And that's it. Yeah. So Jim was doing like the one meal a day, but and he wasn't losing weight, but it was affecting his athletic performance a little bit because he... He just needed more food. He did. He did. And so for me, okay, so I'm 5'3". Well, not quite. I'm like 5'2 and 3 quarters. The, I don't weigh. I don't weigh. I don't like to weigh. It can ruin my whole day. I don't even own a scale. When we moved, I'm like, I'm not taking the scale. I went to the doctor a month and a half ago and they made me get on... They didn't make me. They asked me to get on the scale at the office, you know, with the shoes, the clothes. The, and I weighed about 117. 
I've lost a little bit more this month, I think. So I wow. think. Wow. So you're, you're at a great weight for your height. I think I'm about 115, 116. And I am really solid. Like I'm a runner. Like I have thighs and I'm proud of them. I have like muscles. Um, but the main thing is my stomach every day. Like we, we look in the mirror, my husband and I like, Oh, I'm like, look at my stomach. It's going down. <laughs> I can see the muscles. And because when I was a little, bloated and chubby. He didn't care. He was madly in love with me. He still is. But he was like, you look great. But now he's like, oh, I see what you're talking about, honey. You know? Right. Right. So you're continuing to get leaner. I am. It's like, it's, I've been taking pictures. It's amazing. That's great. It's amazing. Yeah. So I do, what I do is like, I maybe open with a little snack like you do. Maybe two thirty, three o'clock. I'll have a little something, but we're retired. And we live in the hot, hot Arizona. So we eat dinner at like four o'clock. So it's really easy for us to do one meal a day because it's very early. That makes sense. You know, one reason that I've fallen into a a later dinner, like 630 for dinner is because that's when my husband gets home from work because he has lab. He likes to teach his labs in the afternoon. So he might not get home until after six. So we just got into the habit of eating later. But I will say that over the summer, you know, he had the extended time off thanks to COVID, you know, with the whole spring, finishing the spring semester from home and then home all summer. Um, We did kind of drift a little earlier with our meals, which is interesting. So I wonder if, you know, and once he he has a few more years before he can officially retire, maybe we'll be four o'clock dinner eaters too. Yeah, we laugh. Eventually. Yeah, but part part of the... The benefit for us is we get up at like four in the morning to run because it's Arizona. Like right now it's 101. Wow. So if I left the house today at 530, it was already 82 degrees. So we're on that that cycle of we eat early, we go to bed like 830, and then we get up like 334 to do our exercise. So us eating at four is really like in New York, it's at seven o'clock, you know. So y'all are still on New York time, just living in. Yeah, yeah. Well, we just like to eat early because in the morning. I get it. And then our stomachs can empty themselves out. And mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. working for us. And and if I'm doing one meal a day, it's like I can make it to 4 o'clock. Like, oh, yeah. Like, Easy. Piece of cake. Ha-ha. <laughs> piece of cake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. But yeah, I do wonder if, if we'll be eating dinner at 4 o'clock one day. And it wouldn't surprise me. But he's got to finish up with his career first, so. Yeah, so I'm retired since 2015, and I haven't had one second, not a second, where I said, oh, what am I going to do with my time? Not a single second. So I did want to talk about about fasting that I really would encourage people to look at it as, as a choice and as a gift. Like some days, I mean, I really need to put this out there that it's not like every day is ooh la la and I just breeze through my day. I have days where like, oh, I really wish I could eat at noon. And occasionally I will eat earlier if I do a 30-mile run on a Sunday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll eat more the next day if I run 30 miles or if I teach a dance class and run 12, you know, et cetera. But I feel like um, fasting is a gift. And I never, ever, ever think of it like it's a chore or it's a punishment. I always feel like, yay, I get to fast and I get to feel good. That's the way I feel too. And I think that mental shift is huge and that I don't think that I found success until I flipped that switch. You know, I I get my Facebook memories and I look at them and sometimes I see them from 
those years where I struggled so much from 2005 when I started gaining the weight until 2014 when I really committed to intermittent fasting. But, you know, I, I see the posts that I made of, and they were so, so struggly, like the whole idea that I had to punish myself with the diet. Like, oh, I went on vacation. Now it's time to never eat again. I mean, and I'm like, that's just, it was a cycle of, you know. Never eating again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And now it's not like that at all. I go on vacation. I have longer windows on vacation. And I'm, I'm glad to get back to fasting. And it's not a punishment like, well, I better pay for that enjoying the trip. Really, by the end of the trip, I was no longer enjoying it. And I was happy to get back to the gift of fasting. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Right. So occasionally if I do a lot of exercise, you know, like the next day, I'm very much now into the intuitive eating. So if right. I do a long run, even sometimes if I don't do a long run, if I do a big effort, the next day I'll be like, I'm a little hungrier today. Sometimes I'll eat at 930 in the morning if I have to. And I do, so so I sort of do alternate day fasting occasionally. It depends on my activity level because I, I run a lot. Like I run like 90 miles a week, run and hike. Wow. I had 400 miles for the uh, last month because – I I don't have anything else to do with the pandemic. So anyway, if I eat a little bit more one day, like let's say I do a 30 mile run and the next day I'm like 930, I'm like, I need a little bacon and I eat that day. Then the next day I'm like, I can't eat like today I'm fasting again. It's just my body just tells me like enough with the food. Thank you very much. You know, I love that. You know, you're in tune. I am. You're able to hear you. You're not having the urge to binge. That was before when you were over-restricting, but now you're in tune and you're like, okay, I need more fuel. Your body is calling the shots with that. And that's that's how we're meant to be. We are. And, you know, we've done a lot of research, you know, about the history of eating in humans. And, like, I think you've talked about this before. The cavemen, like, they didn't eat every five minutes. They, no, they didn't. Like the hunter-gatherer. Like, they, like, they would, like— like travel, like hunt their food. They would eat a lot and then they would hunt again and they would go long periods of time without eating. And yeah, so I'm a big 
I have a big issue with people using food for everything. Like when I was growing up, my mother would say, oh, you don't feel good. Have something to eat. You'll feel better. Like, so that was the Jewish, you know, I'm, I'm, I was raised Jewish. So it's like, oh, you don't feel good. Have something to eat. You'll feel better. And I think that's like, that's a, that's a tricky mentality. I think you're right. You know, we're soothing all of our feelings and our emotions with food. I think a lot of us also have fallen into that trap. Yeah. Over over year, the years. And, you know, some people talk about when they first start intermittent fasting, they feel almost like like worse emotionally for a while because they, they don't know how to deal with the emotions. They've never had to deal with them. The, the food is how they dealt with the emotions. And now suddenly you're fasting and you're like, wait, now I've got to feel these feelings. Yeah, I think somebody I saw a post on one of the Facebook groups that someone said, does anybody else feel really sad when they're doing their fast? And so here's the deal. Like, for example, when my mother died suddenly, that was horrible. It was horrible. The point is, you got to, I had to go through the stages of grief. I had to feel those feelings. So when we self-medicate with food or alcohol or whatever, that's like you're, you're stuffing those feelings and eventually you have to address those feelings. So that I would like to say to people it's, it could be hard fasting. It could be, it could be making you emotionally vulnerable because you're, you're really feeling what you're supposed to, but you feel it. It's hard. You work through it and then you come out the other side. Exactly. And, and you deal with those feelings and the food, the food never really made it better. It was just a fake kind of soothing. Or it can even make it worse. Like right. I remember you have the guilt. The guilt and also the chemicals. Like if you eat a lot of processed food, like sweet and low, like I swear to you, if I had a cup of coffee with sweet and low, it, it made me feel like all like antsy and edgy because it's a chemical and your body's going like, what, what are you putting in me? So I think that, you know, that immediate gratification, you're stressed, you go for whatever it is, a cookie, a piece of cheese, whatever it is, but you're, you're eating, the feelings is still going to be there in another five minutes. Exactly. So that's something that, you know, it's a journey. Like maybe someone just died and you're like, I don't care. I got to eat now. So that's fine. Give yourself grace. But eventually, like just slowly say, do I really want to eat this cookie or am I just feeling like a little stressed right now? Yeah, I think that's that's a great question. Ask Delay. Ask yourself the question and delay that cookie. You can have the cookie later, but deal with those feelings first. So you mentioned that y'all both started intermittent fasting. Really, your husband was researching the um, reduction of inflammation. So what health benefits have you both seen? Oh, how much time do we have? So, (laughs) and they keep increasing, like the benefits are increasing. So um, the reduction of inflammation is tremendous. I lived in upstate New York, and there, um, there were a lot of ticks. I did a lot of hiking. I had Lyme disease twice, twice. Wow. So, and you have to take that horrible antibiotic called doxycycline. It's like you take it and, you're, and you feel like you're putting poison in your body. But I recovered from the, um, from the Lyme, but every time I got sick with anything like a cold, my knees would ache like somebody hit them with a hammer, and that's gone. Like it's gone. Wow. It's gone. And I had plantar fasciitis. Even when I was thin, I was a teacher. I was on my feet every second of the day. I was a music teacher, standing, playing piano, running around the room. And plantar fasciitis, gone. Headaches. I I used to get headaches anytime the barometer changed, anytime there was any kind of pollen. I have a big bottle of Excedrin in my cupboard. I can't remember the last time I took an Excedrin. That's great. I used to carry it around with me all the time. I had Advil. I would always carry Advil. And 
I had a very unusual rare headache recently. And I was like, I don't even have anything with me. What am I going to do? I mean, I had, I had nothing. Cause I, it's, I used to always have it with me, but yeah, I don't anymore. I had to go digging around when I got home. Yeah. So a uh, reduction of inflammation. And for me with the fasting, I, I really think it's helped my anxiety. I still have anxiety, but it's, it's a lot more manageable. And I think a lot of the foods I was eating would increase you know, increase the anxiety, like I said, the sweet and low or processed anything. But um, so it's help with the anxiety. For my husband, uh, same thing, like way, way better with the uh, inflammation, like amazing. Yeah, that is wonderful. We hike and run and swim and bike and blah, 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 all day long. And, and you don't have the pain? No. And like, for example, I did, did a hundred miler. Yes, I did. Wow. In December when I was 59. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. It is amazing. It took me three days because I slept a little, but I ran yeah. 100 miles in like- I can't even imagine. And I ran it uh, like it was a long weekend. It was around New Year's. And then I came home and two days later, I was out running. I wasn't, I was tired, but I wasn't sore. Wow. I know, right? You know, because you imagine like, like what, you know, blisters and so much- you didn't have any of that? No, because I'm pretty experienced, so I have the right socks okay. and I have the right okay. shoes. And I changed them. And yeah, so okay. the reduction of inflammation. That's like, amazing. Yesterday I hiked by myself. I did a 10-mile hike, and then I cleaned my whole house. And this morning I went and ran seven miles, and I'm like, fine. So the – oh, recovery. Recovery from like hard athletic efforts is is tremendous, tremendous. Yeah. And so you're a perfect example of you do not need to force feed yourself protein within one hour of eating. Okay. So I, Jen, <laughs> I could scream when somebody, I think somebody put a post up about my trainer. Wants, uh, yep. That was yesterday, was, right? Or was it this morning? It was either yesterday or today. I didn't respond because um, I didn't either. Cause I'm like, the group can handle it. The group will answer. They answered it beautifully, by the way. Oh, good. But yeah. So, yeah. so I will say this. I know you ask sometimes at the end, like what kind of problems have you had with IF? Yeah. Okay. So the biggest problem I've had is the running community. So there, oh. there are some runners who are keto adapted, but I have friends that are like, you got to eat before, you got to eat after, you have to eat within 20 minutes of finishing, you have to have carbs, you have to eat every 10 minutes when you're running a marathon. Yeah. I was like, no, you don't. Like right. the cavemen didn't like eat when they were running marathons. So that's like my biggest thing is people like, oh, Lisa, you ran 20 miles without eating. I'm like, yeah. And then I ate when I got home. I'm fine. I'm look at me. I'm not wasting away, you know? No, and I can see your muscle definition is fabulous. I could see it. You're not... You know, you t- <laughs> but yeah, the part, the, the person in the group, then for people who were not, were not in the group and the person said, my trainer said I had to eat a meal within 20 minutes of working out or I would lose all of my muscle. We're like, I just turned it loose. That's the beauty of the advanced group. Oh, the Facebook group okay. is so wonderful, you know, because everyone there, the rule is you have to have read Fast Feast Repeat to join now, now that that book is out. But I can turn loose a question like that and not have to follow it around or answer it myself. And I it popped back up and people had just answered it so well. Okay. It just makes me, as a teacher, right? right. You and I know what right. it feels like to, this is the community that I have taught. And so here they are helping each other. Good. Yeah. So I'm a resource. You know, if anybody wants to know about exercise and, and intermittent fasting. You really are. I'm going to remember that. No, I'm going to tag you. Please. Be ready. And then I don't want to. <laughs> oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. And I don't want to give medical advice about my bipolar disorder. But if anybody is struggling, I'm happy to like talk to them privately and, and give them some ideas about how to get help. Well, thank you. Um, so I did. I want to mention something. I do exercise a lot, a lot, and I dance. But I want to say, when I was 54, I ran my first 50 miler, and I 
was not losing weight. I was training like crazy, but I wasn't losing weight. So I believe I need to exercise. It's one of my mental health tools. And I just, I love to exercise and I love to be outdoors, but I agree with you. Exercise is not the way to lose weight permanently. Because what if you get injured? I have all these runner friends that get injured and then they balloon up. It's like, no, exercise is enhancement. It's a tool. But if you want to get your food and your weight under control, you have to do it. You can't out-exercise a bad diet. That's so true. So very true. Well, we are almost out of time. So you know I like to end with the question, what would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started? So I was thinking about this this morning. I think for someone that's just starting, like you talk about in your book, The Fast Feast Repeat, that some people like to rip the Band-Aid off and some people like the gradual. Figure out what what is your true personality? Because some people are very disciplined and they're all or nothing. So maybe ripping the bandaid off is fine. But first, the average person, maybe easing into it, like start out with eight, um, 16, eight, you know, and just skip breakfast and then just, you know, and ease your way into it because it will happen the way it should for your body. That's perfect. Yeah. And not feeling like you have to do it the way somebody else is doing it. Okay. So that's another big yeah. one. It's like, stop, stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop right now. Just everybody is individual. Do what's right for you. And it should be your journey and give yourself grace, you know, really give yourself grace. If you start intermittent fasting and you, and you don't get it right away, just, it's like training in running, like you do a little run, the next day you get a little bit better. I really, it's a muscle. You have to kind of um, strengthen. That's very true. A friend of mine, someone I taught her daughter in my, my elementary gifted program, her, one of her friends was like, should I do, it was somebody I don't know, but someone who lives local, they were like, should I do Weight Watchers or should I do keto? What do y'all think? And all of her friends were, were chiming in. And the um, the friend that I know said, you should try intermittent fasting. And you hear, you know, Jen Stevens, she's local and she's written a book. And the girl said, well, I tried it and it didn't work for me. And I'm like, oh, that makes me so sad. You know, you, she probably didn't give her body time to adjust. She probably just, you know, <sighs> I'm like, try again. Yeah. <laughs> you might need to ease in and that's okay. Yeah. And the other thing is... <laughs> Food is like, we've been dealing with food issues since we're babies. So it's not like this happened overnight. Like you have to give yourself time to retrain your body and your thinking. So my advice is don't think of it as a punishment. Think of it as a gift. I love that. Yeah. That's huge. Well, Lisa, I really enjoyed talking to you today. And thank you for being here with me. And I know that your story will inspire others. I hope so. Thank you so much, Jen. I'm so honored. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. 
learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.